Well, amen. Good morning and welcome to Great Hills Baptist Church. I'm real thirsty, so I brought my drink here with me this morning. I'm just kidding. I did bring this up here, though, for a purpose. It's filled with candy and goodies. And this is a very cool cup with our logo on it and also have one of the books I've written on the family. And so if you're a first-time guest, I want to bribe you for just a minute, if, I, if you let me, just bribe you. We, we would love to have a record of you being our guest today. So many people come and visit, and we would love to have your name. And if you just want to put your email, whatever you want to give us, that's great. It's there in the bulletin. And come meet my wife and I, and we'll be sitting right over here, not sitting. We'll actually be standing in the Welcome Center area, and we'll give you one of the books I've written, and we'll give you, man, this has got some M&Ms in it, Leighton. What in the world? I'm getting tempted just to eat this. So Trey, would you come get it before I eat it? There's also a free um, uh, gift card to our coffee shop. So first-time guest, you say, well, I'm not a first-time guest. You don't get anything. Amen. We're just glad, <laughs> We're just glad, that, you're, glad that you're here. And so uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be back from our race. Kristen Turkelson, who sang just a moment ago, she was at that race at Disney World and completed. That was her first marathon. She did what is called the dopey. And I mean, the goofy. That was great. Good job. Had a wonderful time. Thank y'all so much for praying for me. And uh, it's just good to be back. And people ask me, how are you doing? How are you? What they're really saying is, at your age, at your age are you okay? And I'm like, I'm, I'm really okay. I'm, uh, I'm standing. I'm upright. Only took me two days, and I was really sore. Uh, but now I'm, I just feel great, ready to, ready to run this marathon today, to preach. In fact, I'm so excited about my message uh, today out of the book of Acts. If you have your Bible and want to turn to Acts chapter 8, that'd be be great. That I got to looking at my sermon and I thought, you know what, this is really a, probably a good hour and a half sermon. And uh, well, thank you. Uh, And you are in the minority, my friend. So let me, let me just say that I need to, I need to redact and parse and condense this. So I did. So what I've done is I've gone from three points to, to one point and, but really, it was driven from something that, that happened to me this week. And, I, and this is part of the reason why I've shortened the message. Acts chapter 8, we'll read verses 1 through, really just 1 through 3. But I was, I was praying and fasting this week. Um, and sometimes God calls me to do that for a little longer periods of time. And, um, and so as I, as I did that, I was here. I was literally right here at this altar and praying. Um, I did this a couple times this, this week as I was just at the altar and praying for Great Hills Baptist Church. And that's usually at the very top of my list as I pray and fast for you and, and for my family and for our church and what God is doing. And it's like the Holy Spirit just really impressed upon me a word. And so I want to share this word with you. And then I want to preach my message. And then I want to come back to this word. Is that okay? Are you confused? Don't be confused, all right? God's not the author of confusion. The word was comfort. It's just the word comfort. It made me think of Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 1, which says, Comfort my people, says the Lord. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to bring you a word of comfort and encouragement and blessing. So if I heard God correctly... And through this prayer and through this fast, and I heard God correctly. That means that he so, or, mm, mm, he so had you in mind before you even got here today that he put it on my heart Tuesday or Wednesday to pray and for him to speak to me, to give you this word that God is a God 
of comfort. So whatever it is that ails you, and some of you are ailing today, right? Physically, perhaps mentally, financially, emotionally, spiritually, whatever your ailment is, this is the message for you today. Our God is a God of comfort, that he makes things better. There's a fancy word for that. He ameliorates things. He improves things. He, he takes it where it was bad and he makes it good. He takes it when it was dark and he makes it light. He takes it when there was death and he brings life. He is, he is a God of comfort. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I'm just curious. I'm just curious. I wonder who this was for today. You came in here today and you were like, man, I just need a word of comfort. Praise God, you're in the right place. Okay, now, can I preach just a little bit on my sermon? Is that, is that all right? Okay, good. Acts chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 to you. And I would ask you to stand, if you will, just a moment. Just stand to your feet. Why don't you do that now? Go ahead and stand up. And I want to read the Word of God uh, to you. Does that feel okay? Stand, stretch out. Say, man, you interrupted a good nap. I'm sorry, but we, we want you to stand. We want you to participate. You know, this worship service, it's all about Jesus, and I'm just the preacher, pastor, teacher guy that gets to uh, lead us into biblical study, and that's what it's all about, is worshiping the Lord, receiving comfort from His people, from, from Him, so we can give it to His people. So in Acts chapter 8, Stephen has died, the first Christian martyr. He was a deacon, turned great preacher, turned great uh, testifier. And there, before the Sanhedrin, he is uh, murdered. He is, uh, becomes the first Christian martyr, who, by the way, has become the first in a long line of Christian martyrs. And so, but watch what happens when the devil thinks he's done his best. Look what God is up to. Now, Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. Saul, you remember who he was? Saul of Tarsus. He also has another name in the Bible. Anybody know his name? He says, it's Paul. That's right. This is Saul, his pre-Christian days. Before he met Jesus Christ, he was a murderer. He consented to Stephen's death. And at that time, not just a persecution, but what kind of persecution? See it, the adjective? Great, mega, mega persecution arose against the ecclesia, against the body of Christ, the church, which was at Jerusalem. So the church is just in Jerusalem, pretty much, right? And now watch what happens. Because of persecution, they were all, say that word with me, church. They were scattered. They were gathered in Jerusalem, and now they have been scattered throughout, throughout the regions of, watch this, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Acts 1-8, right? And that is the geographical theological outline for the whole book, the whole second volume of the Luke-Acts volume written by the good Dr. Luke. They were all scattered, not only through Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria. Everybody was scattered except the apostles, the apostolos, the chosen ones who stayed in Jerusalem. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and they made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc. That's an interesting word. It's the only time this word's used in the entire Greek New Testament. Lumanamoi, some strange word. I mean, it's, it's only used one time, and it means literally like, a, like an animal, like a wild animal would rip apart its prey. That's what that word means. It means to savagely 
uh, just rip in two. And so Saul is making havoc, is ripping out the church. He's entering every house. He's dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And that's where we stopped. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Father, we thank you for your word. It's amazing. And Lord, it teaches us so much. We'll just take some time today to study it. Uh, to, Lord, we ask you to apply it to our lives. Thank you, Lord, for each person that is here today. Some, Lord, are suffering, and they need comfort because they're suffering for their faith. And persecution is a very real, uh, real entity. It's a real thing to them in their job, in their family. Their Catholic, Catholic family just cannot understand why. They would go to Great Hills Baptist Church. Why would you do that? Others, Lord, are being passed over and ostracized and maybe even vilified for standing for the gospel, standing for biblical marriage, standing for life. And so they find themselves, Lord, in a very difficult, precarious predicament. But Lord, today, today they are here. And she is your child, God. He is your man. And so we're praying that you'd give comfort and speak to us, God, as we read, as we study the Word of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, you, may, you may be seated. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, in fact, it's called the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter, chapters 5 through 7. Three times in chapter 5 in verses 1 through 12. Jesus uses this word persecute or a derivative or the form of the word persecute. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus is blessing us. Blessed are uh, the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, and blessed are you when you are persecuted. Here's the thing. God knew that we as his children would take a stand for him and because of that, we would be persecuted, we would be ostracized, sometimes we would even be vilified and we would be passed over. And some and many in our world today will pay the highest price and they will suffer uh, as a martyr. Now for us today in America, probably the worst thing that we will suffer would be uh, losing our job or being passed over for a promotion. But there are people in this world who are so standing for Christ that in the meantime, in the time that it takes me to preach this message, many of our comrades, many of our fellow brothers and sisters will fall by the sword. They will lose their lives just because they stand for Christ. The Bible says in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. You don't, you don't need to turn there, but if you're taking notes, I would just say good luck because we're going to move fast, and I want you to jot these words down. James 1, 2 and 3. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, that's us, the church. Beloved, agape toy. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And then this one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions because you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. The antecedent for this would be afflictions. So Acts chapter 8, 
verses one through eight, the early church, they are not exempt from persecution. In fact, they experience the full assault, the full frontal assault of the Sanhedrin, and then it's going to ripple on into the, uh, the, the Roman world, and all of a sudden, for the first 300 years, the church of Jesus Christ will be under such scrutiny and under such persecution. But watch this. As the church is being persecuted and as the devil is doing his dead level best to stamp us out, you know what happens? An amazing thing happens. The church explodes. I mean, what, what the devil meant for evil, God takes it and he means it for good. It reminds me of Tertullian, the early church father. He has this amazing quote when he says, and the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So we're looking at today this, this pain of persecution and affliction and difficulty. So we've read our text, and I just want to I just want to walk you through just just what I'm hoping just is the first three verses. Just kind of first of all, just kind of bring us back to the book of Acts. It's been a few weeks since we have been out of the book of Acts, and I don't know about you, but I'm I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty excited to be back in this amazing book because it it, it takes us back to the very embryonic days, the the early days, the nascent days of the New Testament when the church of Jesus Christ was at her best. And through the years, I know that, that we've strayed and, and I know that we've wandered, but it seems like if we can recalibrate, if we can get ourselves back to the early church, then this is where we will find our great joy. This is where we will find great success and advancement for the kingdom of God the closer we can stay to Jesus and his apostles and what's revealed to us in Holy Scripture. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we can ignore pleasure, but pain, oh, pain. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but God shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. January the 8th, 1956 is a day that will forever be remembered in Christ Christianity and in Christendom. It happened in the 20th century. Five young American men on fire for God with hot hearts for the Lord. They went to the Alka Indians in the Ecuadorian jungle. And there they said, Lord, you've called us. We're going to give our lives just to preach the gospel. And, and Lord, we believe you're going to do amazing things for us. And Nate and Jim and their three com comrades walked upon the shore that day, that infamous day in January 8, 1956, and they were gored to death. They were speared to death by the Alka Indians. And Nate said these words before he even went to Ecuador. He said, as we weigh the future and seek the will of God, does it seem right that we should hazard our lives for just a few savages? And then he went on to describe the motivation. He said, but yes, God is, God is worthy. And these people's souls are worthy for me to go and give my best. Another man, Jim Elliott, I love him. I look forward to meeting him, don't you? I do look forward to meeting the man who said these words. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. You know what happened that day? 
This is kind of the Paul Harvey dating myself rest of the story. Can I just take you through just a little bit of what happened in the world on January the 8th, 1956, when the devil thought that he had dealt a lethal blow to the work among the Alka Indians. He had no idea that Miss Elizabeth Elliot would rise up, take her family, and go and lead those people to Jesus Christ. But listen to this. On that day, I just want to give you some examples. In Brazil, do we have some Brazilian brothers in the house? Come on. Woo-hoo, look at there. Ademir in, in the house. Love you guys. God bless you. In Brazil, a group at a mission station fell to their knees in brokenness and burdened for their people. They said, God, you have people in Ecuador who are giving their lives. God, what are we doing? And they recommitted their lives to Christ just in Brazil. Then in England, an Air Force pilot in England began. He said, on this day, January the 8th, because those men laid down their life, I'm turning in my my pilot's license to fly for money, and I'm going to be a missionary pilot today. In Africa, a missionary wrote these words, our work will never be the same. We knew those men. We knew two of the men, their lives have, met, have left their marks on our lives. In Italy, a naval officer went in. He was in an accident, and he was floating in the sea, and <laughs> as he has had this accident, he's floating in the sea. He just heard about the death of Jim Elliot, and he remembered the words of Jim Elliot who said these words. Oh, let me tell you something. Oh, my word. Love this quote. It's one of the most famous quotes in all of Christianity. When it comes time to die, make sure that all you got to do is die. Isn't that good? <laughs> so, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Live it. Live your life to the fullest for Christ and for your family and live with no regrets so that when it comes time to die, brother and sister, just die. That's all you got to do is just die. And that's, he said, I remembered this quote as he's floating around there in the ocean in Iowa. Yes. In the heartland of America, a young man went into his room, shut the door and stayed there for a week. And when he came out of the room after having heard of Jim Elliott and his four brothers, what happened? He said, Mom and Dad, I'm turning my life over now completely to the Lord. I, I want to try to take the place of one of those young men who died. You know, amazing things happen when we suffer for the Lord. Some of you are looking at me like a calf looks at a new gate. I don't know if y'all that connotes to some, some people, that ranchers and all. Yeah. I was raised on a farm and animals and gardens and that kind of stuff. And when a calf looks, comes up on a new gate, it's really fascinating. He's like, what is that? And that's what some of y'all are looking at me like, what are you talking about? I, I, don't, I don't understand persecu- persecution. What, what, what does that even mean? I but come on though, really, do, do, do you? Maybe we're not experiencing it because we're not near as sold out to Jesus as we should be. Because if we really walked with the Lord, I tell you, we would get the devil's attention. Somebody said, if you hadn't fought, faced the devil lately, <laughs> maybe you're walking with him. The early church wasn't walking with him. 
And they were doing battle against him. And the battle was so intense that the enemy would rise up and just try to squelch and put out the church. But in the process, all he did was add gasoline to the fire, to the embers that uh, metastasized into this mighty conflagration that swept the entire uh, Roman world. Stephen, I love this man, so devoted to Jesus Christ. Oh, may we live our lives in such a way of devotion and commitment. Some of you may be serving the Lord and you feel like you're just in a place of anonymity. You feel like you're in a place that nobody really knows you or recognizes you. And and I don't know, I, I just had this thought, maybe you're watching us today on the internet and hundreds of people watch our worship service live every Sunday. It's a fascinating thing how technology works and Maybe you, you are a construction worker in New York City and you're watching us today in Austin, Texas. Or maybe you're a medical doctor in London, England, and somehow through the cyberspace, the world of the internet, you are watching Austin, Texas. Maybe, just maybe you're a, 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 a lady who is at home right now and you're watching us on the internet. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are, and I don't know what is going on in your life, but God has impressed upon my heart and my life today to say this, comfort my people. You may be going through a hard time. You may think nobody knows you. Nobody sees you. Nobody even cares. I'm here to tell you, God cares for you. God sees you, and God loves you. And we love you. We Here at Great Hills Baptist Church, we love Jesus. We're preaching the word. We're marching forward. That's, that's for you, whoever you are. So I want to encourage you. Saul comes and he consents to the death of Stephen in our text today in Acts chapter 8. Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church. This same Saul who became Paul, he said this, and I have it for you, Acts 22 20 says, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing there consenting to his death, and I was guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. St. Augustine, arguably the greatest theologian to ever live outside of the Apostle Paul, the Bishop of Hippo, Africa, who died in AD 430, said this, if Stephen had not prayed, the church would not have Paul. If Stephen had not prayed, remember, Father, forgive them. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul is, some people think he's as young as 24 years of age. He's a single adult in his 20s, maybe his 30s, possibly at the latest he's in his 40s. Sounds like Austin, Texas, doesn't it? You say, excuse me? Yeah. This, Leighton, you and I were talking about this week. Help me. What, what did you tell me this week about single adults? And I can't hear him. What does he say? 51%? 61%? In Austin, single. How many single adults do we have in the church today? Praise the Lord. That's awesome. God bless y'all. Has anybody told y'all that lately? God bless you. 
I love you, this church loves you, and, and we're just thrilled that, that you're here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the truth. Saul thought he was doing a good thing in Galatians 1.14. He says, I was more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So watch what happens. The church now in Jerusalem has peace. I know the apostles are being persecuted a little bit. But nobody's died, Right? Acts chapters 1 through 6 is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, some people say they've grown from 120 to 250,000 people. The apostles were beaten, but they were let go. But something happened in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, he literally died. And now the church will go from being gathered in peace to being scattered. And this will become the catalyst that will catapult them into unprecedented missionary activity. In verse 2, it says, And some people who buried Stephen, they had great lamentation over his death. Do you all see that in verse 2? It's interesting to me. I read a couple of commentators. They said they believe that those people in verse 2, the devout men who carried Stephen to his burial, they believe that those men could have been converted, could have come to faith in Christ there at the very place of martyrdom of Stephen. Perhaps, I know Saul was indelibly marked. He would never be the same after witnessing the death of Stephen. In Acts chapter 12, you're going to read where Herod kills James. Remember James and John? Sometimes God calls us to go. Sometimes God calls us to stay. When hardship and difficulties accompany our obedience, this does not mean that we are out of the will of God. It could very well mean we are in the will of God. Reminds me of my PhD dissertation. That was five lonely months. Let me, let me just tell you. If you ever embark upon a PhD, please talk to me and let me talk you out of it if there's any way possible. No, seriously, if you, God's called you to do it, do it. But for six months, I wrote and I studied. And I wrote about a man who's very controversial today. And I don't agree with a lot of his theology, but I do agree with a lot of his passion for Jesus and for people. It was the summer of 1832, there was this cholera, cholera outbreak in New York City. And Charles Finney was the pastor of a church. He was a great pastor before he became this evangelist. And in 1832, the, the cholera epidemic, it just broke out in all the city and people were dying right and left. And and, and people were like, Finney, pack your bags, man, it's time to go. I mean, get out of here while you can. You, you might... You might contract this disease and die with a lot of the other people. You have the means. You have the wherewithal. Get out of here. He said, no. He said, I can't leave my people. If my people are dying and suffering, I'm their pastor, and I, and I must stay with them. And he did, and he got cholera or cholera. He was sick unto death. In fact, he looked to his right, and he saw the, the horse and buggy hearse 
as they pulled up to his next door neighbor when the neighbor fell over and died and they carried him away. His next door neighbor to his left, same thing that happened. Was Finney crazy? Should he gotten that out? Or was he obedient to the will of God? Listen, sometimes the will of God will take you to places that the world could never understand. But just because it's hard and just because times are difficult, it does not mean that you have sinned. It does not mean that you're outside of God's will. It could very well mean that you're in the center of God's will and God's glory is going to be manifest through your difficulty. That's, that's Christianity 101. That's the cross. That's the early church. Verse 3 says, now Saul made havoc on the... Do y'all see now why I'm not covering eight verses? Y'all okay? Are y'all with me? This is why I can't go through eight verses like this or we would be here a long time. So verse 3 says, and Saul made havoc. Let me try this again. Luminoma, luminoma, luminoma. Woo, luminoma. Say so you're speaking an unknown tongue, brother. That's, that's Greek for bad. Really, really bad, all right? That, it's in the imperfect tense if you're interested, which means he kept on making havoc on the church. You may have somebody at, at IBM or Facebook. You, you may have somebody on your construction site. You may even have somebody in your office that hates God so much that they think it's their responsibility to make your life miserable because you believe in Jesus. Hold on just a second. If that's the case, don't give up on her. Don't give up on him. God just might be working in his or her life. Who knows? He or she, they may just become another Apostle Paul. You never, you never know. So he's wreaking havoc upon the church. Only time this word is used in the New Testament. It means to destroy, to ravage, to ruin. It means the destruction of a city or the ripping or the mangling caused by a wild beast. Persecution takes many painful forms. It reminds me of a lot of things, and I'm going to tell you one story that I've told you here before, but it's just worth repeating. Because a lot of times when, when the devil is doing his worst, and we feel defeated, and we feel discouraged, and we feel like, man, things just aren't happening the way they should be happening. Why, why am I not married like now, God? Why, what are you doing? Why haven't I gotten that job? I mean, my land, everybody knows I'm a whole lot more qualified than she is. And truth be known, Lord, you know I'm smarter than she. And she gets the job. He gets the promotion. They get the date. And I just get left at home. God, what in the world? And hey, let me tell you something. It could very well be that God tests us and say, will you be faithful? Will you be righteous? Will you be holy? Will you walk with me even though you don't understand me? And so we'd say, yes, Lord, we, we trust you. So here it is, Lee Strobel. Why did I wear this sweater? I have no idea. <laughs> it's coming off. Y'all bear with me.
Amen. Y'all like my tie? I wore a tie today. That's sweet. Bless my heart. What was I talking about? Okay, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel. The case for Christ, right? Chicago Tribune editor, graduated from Yale, journalism school, brilliant, bright man who just came to Austin, by the way, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and endorsed our whole What's Next Austin, the spiritual awareness campaign that's coming up in a few weeks. Lee Strobel, brilliant man, atheist, hates God. He's really upset with his wife because his wife did the most incredibly stupid thing he had ever heard of in his life. She came home and said, I've been studying the Bible with some of my friends in the neighborhood, and I think I'm going to give my life to Jesus. In fact, I am giving my life to Jesus. He about passed out. He was so angry. So he, he went up on this quest. Y'all know his story. He set out to disprove Christianity, that the Bible is a bunch of myths and fables. And he took his analytical mind and he applied all of his research to putting the Bible to the test. And by the way, you know what happens anytime, anytime, Josh McDowell, uh, Frank Harbor, anytime those brilliant guys do that, they always find out and go, wow, the overwhelming, overwhelming evidence, they become Christians. And so Lee Strobel did. He was so excited about his faith. And he went into the Chicago Tribune. He went to his boss. Anybody here that's been a Christian not, not very long? Would you raise your hand? I'm just, I'm just curious. If you've not been a Christian very, very long, okay? Man, y'all a bunch of old saints over here. I ain't nobody raised their hand. All right, some of you over here. And so he's so excited. Do y'all remember those days? Don't you wish you could get those days back? Remember when you're so excited? You'd tell anybody. You tell everybody about Jesus. And Lee Strobel was just like that. He went into his boss's office. His, his boss was, a, was an ardent atheist just like him, working at the Chicago Tribune. And he said, sir, close the door. He goes, man, he said, I got to tell you something. He said, I've given my life to the Lord. I'm so excited. And my wife and I, we want to invite you to Easter. Easter is coming. And he says, Lee, no. He said, I'm not interested. He said, oh, Okay. <laughs> well, I just can't leave it. And, and no, no, maybe a hesitant. Yes. So he said, I tell you what, we're, we're having this Easter program. And there's going to be lots of singing and uh, a little bit of preaching. And, and we want you to come. And my wife and I, he goes, I, he said, Lee, thank you. He said, listen, I, I don't know what, what's gotten a hold of you. But whatever it is you have, I don't want. And so the answer is no. He said, man, what in the world? He goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, one, one more time. He said, listen to this. If you just, listen, my wife and I, we will take you to dinner. After dinner, we'll go to the program. He said, get out of my door. Get out the door. I told you, no, leave. Anybody ever been there, done that? That's rough. That happened to me the other day. If I have time, I'll tell you about it. So, ooh, you going to tell us about one of your difficult witnessing encounters? Yeah, because not all of them go very well. So Lee Strobel said, no, man. He, he walked in. He said, God. He goes, he said, God, I'm confused. He sat down and he said, Lord, I really believe you were leading me to witness to my boss. My boss not only said no three times, he said no. He almost kicked me out of the door, and I'm really, really confused. Years later, years later, 
a man comes up to Lee Strobel after he preaches in another church and says, Sir, I just want to introduce myself to you. You don't know me, but I, you are responsible for me and my wife. Here's my wife giving our lives to Jesus Christ. He said, oh, great, that's great. And he, goes, I get, he says, I hear this a lot, but he said, would you tell me how you came to know the Lord? He said, do you remember that day you tried to witness to your boss at the uh, Chicago Tribune? He goes, well, yes, I do. He said, well, what, what you don't realize is I was, I was on the other side of the wall and I was working on the plumbing in the bathroom. And I heard everything. And man, he shut you down. He was, your boss was not interested at all. But I was. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, honey, there's this new Christian at, at work. And he's so excited. He went in, he shared his faith with his boss and he was inviting him to this church. He must really love God, must really love this church. He said, why don't we go? Him and his wife went, and they gave their lives to Christ. They became Christians. See, here's, here's the thing. You just never know. There may be an Apostle Paul behind the wall that you're influencing, and you had no idea that you were influencing so I'm playing golf last week. Y'all want to hear this story real quick? Sure, sure, okay. Not too well, by the way. I was playing golf. and um, So you run a 5K, you still got a little bit of energy, so I went and played golf with my friend in Orlando. And they paired us with this guy. And I hope this guy's watching today, I really do. And, um, And so I'm thinking, he's, he's my one. You know, he's the one I'm supposed to share with and talk to. And I tried. I tried and I tried. I just tried. I tried to share with him. And every time I'd talk to him about anything spiritual, he'd go. He'd just do that. He'd just, he'd just look at me like that. And I'd go, okay, I'll just tee it up, hit, it, hit another ball, you know. And then by the eighth hole, I mentioned something about church or, uh, or whatever, and he just shut me down. Finally, I got in the golf cart with him. I did. I know, serious. He was by himself. I said, I've had enough. I took my gospel track, and I went in. I did, Beatrice, and I sat next to him just like this. And I said, tell me. Tell me anything about your faith. What, where do you go? Do you have a church? And he, but no, he didn't do that. He didn't hit me. <laughs> he didn't hit me. But he said, Presbyterian. I said, oh, good. I said, man, we're getting somewhere. Presbyterian. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, I've written this little booklet about Christ, and I, I want you to have it. It's called um, The Five Crosses, and I shared my testimony with him. He never said a word, not a word. And I get back into the golf cart, and my buddy is watching. Rob Daniel is watching me like a hawk. I mean, he is like, he is like, what is this? What's going down? And then later on, Rob told me, he said, man, he wasn't having nothing to do with you, nothing to do with God or with Christ or the church. I said, yep, that's, that's true. And y'all know what? 
I'm, I'm good. Because I can't convict anybody. I can't convert anybody. All I can do is share with everybody. <laughs> Amen, brother. That's a good word. Amen. I can't, I can't convict anybody. I can't convert anybody. But I can share with everybody. Who knows, y'all? Who knows if this man will come to faith in Christ? You say, would you feel a little persecuted? Yeah, I felt a little, I felt a little odd. It hurt a little bit. I wonder if that's why... I wonder if that's why we don't talk more about Jesus because it makes us feel uncomfortable when people don't respond the way we want them to. Pain, that's what I'm sharing with you all the pain of persecution. And it's really, it's really small in comparison to some of the pain we read about in this amazing book. Okay, so it's 12 o'clock, and I'm done, almost. I think I heard the Lord well. That's point one, so next week I guess we'll do point two. Take 30 more minutes, <laughs> then point three. I, I, I got to share with y'all just a little bit. I'm going to give y'all a warm-up for a song. Brother Terry's helping me prepare for y'all, okay? I love Brother Terry. I sprung this on him yesterday. I said, Terry, let's sing this song tomorrow. He goes, oh, okay, what, what is it? I told him, he said, I have no idea what that song is. I said, well don't, well, don't worry about it for tomorrow. Let's do it next week. We're going to do it next week or the next week? <laughs> okay. My God is awesome. He can move mountains. He keeps me in the valley, hides me from the rain. Stanza two. My God is awesome. He heals me when I'm broken. He gives strength where I've been weakened. Forever he will reign. My God is awesome. He's Savior of the whole world. He's giver of salvation. By his stripes I am healed. My God is awesome. One, one more, here we go. Today I am forgiven. His grace is why I'm living. Praise his holy name. We're going to sing this in a couple of weeks, all right? I couldn't wait to give it to you. Woo! Y'all, I tell you, Saturdays, God is getting on me on Saturdays. I've quit studying, I've quit reading your emails. And I've quit answering all questions on Saturday. I do very little on Saturday except worship the Lord and cry a lot like I did yesterday. And I did go see Dr. Doolittle with my wife, and that was a lot of fun. I, I'll be honest with you. And, and God gave me this song, and I saw it on the Internet. And Brother Terry, he came close, but in a couple of weeks, we're, we're going to. And it's like God was like, comfort my people. My God is awesome. Listen to the words. He can move mountains. 
He keeps me in the valley. He hides me from the rain. My God is awesome. Let me, let me pray with you. If you bow your heads, close your eyes. I know it's kind of a different sermon today, but I really, really felt compelled of the Lord to offer words of comfort to you today who are struggling, who are suffering, who are persecuted, who are broken, who are aggravated, who are depressed, who are discouraged. You fill in the blank. God loves you so much that He burdened me. He caused me to not eat, and He wanted me to tell you comfort. He is a God of all comfort. He knows, He sees, He loves you very, very much. Here's your option. You can be bitter and be angry and be mad at God. Or you can say, my God is awesome. Praise His name. Lift Him up. Okay, so now I'm going to do it. Everybody's head is bowed and everybody's eyes are closed except mine. I'm just, I'm just curious, who are you? <laughs> who in this room does God love so much that he wants you to hear this again? Comfort to you from God. Comfort, peace, joy. Would you just raise your hand? I'm just really curious. Okay. Okay. That would be a whole bunch of us. Okay, so that was for you. Others of you are just, man, you're doing great. Things are, things are A-okay, and that's awesome. But it's really fascinating. Whenever you come to church on Sunday, there is always a percentage of people who are soaring with the eagles, and then some of us are just trotting with turkeys. You know, we're, we're, there's struggle. There's discouragement. I just want you to know God loves you. And if you're here today and you've not, I mean, never have you surrendered your all to Christ. I invite you to do that today. Maybe it's through this brokenness and maybe it's through this difficulty that God, maybe C.S. Lewis is right. God whispers to us pleasure, but his megaphone to arouse us is pain. And maybe through your painful situation, you would surrender afresh and anew. Listen, you only got two options. It can make you better and make you more dependent on God, or it can make you bitter. You have a choice. And I'm encouraging you, I'm imploring you, I'm pleading with you to allow this to make you better, to make you the person that God's crafting, that He's shaping you to be. It starts with a surrender. Would you surrender today? Surrender your life to Christ. Others of you here today, and man, you just are carrying this burden. I know, I know. I'm not omniscient, but I know a lot about Great Hills Baptist Church. As I pray, as I seek the Lord, as I listen to you, I hear about your marriage, and I hear about your doctor's reports. Don't carry that burden alone, please. Would you share that? It may be at the altar today. I was in Amarillo preaching Monday night, and I just felt so impressed of the Lord if, if you're here today and you have a burden, I was bragging on Great Hills Baptist Church. I said, when Great Hills, when somebody comes forward, it's the coolest thing. I mean, we care. We want people to know that we love them. We put a hand on their shoulder and we just say, our God is awesome. And we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. I'm just reaching out to you in cyberspace. I can't touch you physically, but you know who you are and you know the pain and the burden you're bearing. So I'm praying for you in Jesus' name and I'm praying for our people, God.
I'm asking you now, Lord, there would be an Isaiah 64 moment where, God, they would give you that garment, that heavy garment for a, for a coat of praise. That, Lord, you would lift them out of, a, of brokenness and depression and discouragement, and you would, you would infill them with your Holy Spirit of love, joy, and peace. Lord, would you do this for your name, for your great fame, so that people will know there is a God in Austin, Texas, who hears prayers, who answers prayers. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen, amen. Would y'all stand with me? Let's have our invitation. God bless you today. Come on. You got that burden? You got that discouragement? Would you come? Let's kneel at the altar. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Terry, you lead us as we, as we sing.